Senator Dalen Leach and I agree on very little in terms of policy solutions, but he did agree to sit down with me for a podcast. As one of the more liberal and controversial senators, he's also one of the more humorous people in Harrisburg. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President and CEO of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am in a bunker in Montgomery <laughs> County uh, because my guest uh, did not want to be seen with me in public. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Senator Dalen Leach, uh, we've been talking about getting together for a podcast for quite a while. I'm glad it finally worked out. I'm here at your offices. Yeah, uh, no, you're yeah. in you're in the uh, den of liberalism. <laughs> I, 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 if you need, uh, if you're getting the vapors at some point, let me know. Yeah, well, it felt like acid like was thrown on my body <laughs> as I walked in here. No, no, you, you got great staff, uh, I great do. people. And uh, I think it's part of where, look, uh, I, I met Steve, I think your legislative director. He mm-hmm. says, hey, I know you by your work. I agree with absolutely nothing, but it's great to meet you. <laughs> Which is, you know, I think the way that uh, something we've lost in many ways is that ability to say, hey, we disagree on a lot. And I, you know, maybe we'll find something with Dalen that you and I agree on where we're working on. Uh, and I think we have found that in mm-hmm. the past. Um, but part of my podcast uh, idea is to be able to have discussions about the things that are important and uh, that hopefully you don't reach across the table and strangle mm-hmm. me and I don't do this. No, I'm a physical see, coward, that, that, so you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> well, well, before we get into a lot of the issues and, and you know talk about some of your legislative priorities, uh, tell us about Dalen Leach, uh, where you grew up, uh, you know, your family and and your, I see your picture, your wife on the table, far better half. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, which I can have, I claim one of those as well. But, yeah, no, uh, we, I don't know what, what she was thinking. And <laughs> I think someday she doesn't know what she was thinking. But uh, anyway, and my kids are there. So yeah. uh, they're much older than that yeah. now. But uh, no, I was, uh, I was born in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, my mom and dad were married, but they split up before I was born. And I never met him. And uh, we got a child support order, but he never paid any child support. And never, like, you know, you think at some point in his life he would, because I'm easy to find, yeah. he would have decided to, but he never he never had that urge, mm. you know. So um, we were living in Philadelphia, and uh, my grandmother got sick. She had a neuromuscular disease, and so she came to live with us, and my mother had to take care of her. Um, and, uh, you know, we eventually she couldn't manage that and taking care of me financially or in other ways. So she put me in a, um, an agency, which put me in a series of foster homes. It was kind of an apocalyptic childhood. The foster mm-hmm. homes were mostly abusive. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know. This all in all in Philadelphia? This is uh, all in the Philadelphia okay. area. And so, I, you know, it, it was, uh, I, I, you know, I was not heading in a good direction. I was acting out and all of that. Um, but I luckily... Uh, one day, I was uh, literally just cold because my one, one of the foster families used to just tell me to leave at like 8 in the morning and come back at like 8 at night, like just go. And so I would have to walk around for hours, and you get in a lot of trouble that way. But I was bored, and I was cold, and I wanted to go somewhere where you, you didn't have to pay money uh, to hang out. So I went to the Bushrod Library on Castor Avenue in Northeast Philadelphia, and I was just – looking at books, and I found a book, I was seven years old at the time, found a book about the, uh, the assassination of President Kennedy, which was relatively recent at the time, um, and uh, just started reading it and became very interested and came back the next day to read more, and I started reading about other him and other presidents, and uh, it just, I developed this real interest in politics, and I, mm. I you know, it's- at seven in, years old, you Seven remember? years yeah. old, okay. I stayed up all night uh-huh. watching the Nixon-Humphrey election, <laughs> uh, probably the only second grader who did that, um, probably explains why I didn't get a prom date, um, but, you know, and, and it's interesting because I have almost no talents or skills, and anyone who knows me will back me up on that, but the, the very few that I have are useful in politics, and I don't know how my brain- knew or if it knew like this path that I was interested in would also be the path that I was suited for. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, eventually I moved back. My grandmother died, moved back here with my mom. We moved to Allentown because she's a very talented artist and uh, I am not. And so she was teaching art up there and, uh, you know, went to went to Temple University, student loans and uh, University of Houston Law School because I want to try a different part of the qu- country. Quickly came back, uh, you know. But I, but I got I was always very politically interested, politically active. 
Um, my first campaign I worked on was uh, George McGovern, which I'm, I'm guessing was yours too, uh, in uh, 1972. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was three, Dalen. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So uh, you would have loved George. <laughs> I'll tell you, he, he he Lehigh Valley, where I lived at the time, was not a McGovern stronghold. Okay, actually, mm-hmm. I don't think there were okay any McGovern strongholds outside of like wh- the west side of Manhattan and and Boston Commons. But uh, you know, so people, I found out people can be very hostile in politics at a young age, <laughs> even to a cute cherubic. Yeah angelic-looking child like me. Um, and so, uh, but... Well, well, back up, though. So, yeah. so at what point did you say, look, I, I lean towards the liberal wing, you know, versus... I mean, what was it that, I guess, politically, where you start to see a development of an ideology? Uh, uh, well, I think, it was, I think, you know, and my wife's a psychologist. We have a lot of discussions about nature versus nurture and Well, that genetics. makes it a lot cheaper for you for your oh, sessions. <laughs> why yeah. do you think I did that? Um, so, so uh, you know... Let's take genetics out of it. I think that life experiences definitely have an impact on you, and there were a couple that I think led me in a more liberal direction. Number one was I grew up in the 60s, and on television at night when I watched the news, there was a lot of stuff going on about the civil rights movement. There was the, you know, uh, the, the uh, African Americans being shot with water hoses, the dogs, Bull mm-hmm. Connor, all of that stuff. And I just found that to be so, like, viscerally offensive. Um, and then also... Uh, number two, there's three things. That, number two, was the fact that I was sort of, the reason I was able to survive was because, you know, my mom had no money, we were on welfare, we got food stamps, we got uh, subsidized school lunches, and I felt like like if that wasn't there for me, then I, I don't know what would have mm-hmm. happened to mm-hmm. us. And number three, um, I just, you know, I, like a lot of people my, of my generation, I just found uh, uh, President Kennedy and Robert Kennedy very inspiring figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, especially then they were competing with like Richard Nixon and stuff who, you know, frankly was more liberal than people give him credit for in a lot of ways. But so, so it's kind of like, uh, well, uh, Republicans are racist, so you're not that, uh, Republicans yeah. hate welfare. Uh, you know, so. it wasn't really Republicans yet. <laughs> okay. It wasn't because, you know, keep in mind, I think Bull Connor. Of course I'm saying this, you know, because yeah. we like to simplify things. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I think Bull Connor was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, in the South, they were at the time. Now, sure. a lot of them left, like Strom Thurmond and Jesse Helms left the Democratic Party to become Republicans later on. But at the time, uh, you know, the, the Deep South, George Wallace was a Democrat. So it wasn't really a partisan thing. It was more of just a, you know, I I, I was for the, the, the people who were being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Um, uh, I don't think I was sophisticated enough yet to be partisan until maybe uh, like three or four or five years so, later. So at what point are you thinking, hey, one day I'd like to run for public – I mean, was this before you went to college and oh, yeah. law school? Oh, uh, yeah, seven, or, eight, okay. nine. Okay. And, and I was like – you know, as I got older and I had to think about college, I said, you know, I would love to do politics and public policy for a living, but um, – someone has to pay me a paycheck until someone else will pay me to do that. <laughs> so I need to trade. Um, so I went to law school, practice law. I thought they would be symbiotic mm-hmm. in some ways. I, if I had to do it over again, I may go to law school again, but I don't think I would have practiced law. I didn't really enjoy it. So that. how long did you practice law uh, for? I practiced 17 years. Okay. Uh, what kind of law did you do? Well, my first three years I was with a firm, and then I was very a gregarious social guy, and so I knew a lot of people, and quickly I realized I could make more money on my own than with a firm. So and this I went, is back in, in, in yeah, the Yeah, this Philly is 19. Area? No, well, this okay. is Allentown. Okay. And uh, I got a job with uh, a, a firm in Allentown. But after three years, I was like, you know, I'm going to go on my own. And I did. Uh, and uh, I did make more money. But it was it was very difficult being a solo practitioner because you, it's very hard to take a vacation. You have you have to be in three courtrooms in two counties at once, you know, and it became very stressful. Um, but uh, so so you know, I, that's the, I did that for a long time, and then. Um, I ran for Lehigh County Commissioner in 1989. That was not a full-time job. But I thought it was a good way. I, I, I had no interest in actually being a commissioner. I just thought, you know, I was president of the Young did Democrats. Did you know what they did? Uh, yeah, <laughs> basically they – see, the problem is in Lehigh County, it's not like Montgomery County where we have three commissioners who run the show. <clears throat> right. Lehigh County, there were nine commissioners and an executive. Mm-hmm. So the executive did everything. The commissioners just basically approved contracts, uh, almost always unanimously. It, it wasn't a intellectually – 
challenging mm-hmm, job. Right. But I thought it was a way to get started, okay. and I ran. And I won the primary in a big upset. Uh, and I was running against a guy named Miller, and everyone in Lehigh Valley is named Miller. Um, and then I, I have terrible luck in these things. Uh, in the general election, I ran against a guy named – it was a – competitive district, I ran against a guy named Jeff Skinner. Now, the president of the city council in Allentown was a guy named Watson Skinner, and the president of the school board was a guy named Ron Skinner. They were father and son. (laughs) My opponent, Jeff Skinner, was not related to them, but it's like running against a Kennedy in Massachusetts, you know? It's hard. I, we worked very hard. We lost by 1%. Hmm. And when you lose, if you're going to lose an election, you want to lose big. Okay? Losing by 1% (laughs) is like, ooh, if I'd only done this, right? But, and I was, you know, on election night, you're, you're, you're upset, but it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if I had won, I'd still be there, probably, mm-hmm. right? And my yeah, life... Yeah, because it's not about, what, 20 years later that you win uh, in, the, in the state house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was 1989, and I, yeah, it was, uh, well, it was... Uh, 2008, I think, is when th- you... Uh, no, 2002 was when I was elected to the oh, state sorry. house. So what's that, 13 years later? Yeah, it was the, the state senate in, in the, 08. Oh, wait, it was the yeah. state senate. So, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I'm much happier where I am with my current family, with my current house, <laughs> and my current position. What, what, what brought you to Montgomery County, then, out of Lehigh? Well, I, I actually went to Philly for a while. Okay. Because, you know, Allentown, Allentown's really changed a lot. But back then, it was like a dying town. Like, de- downtown was, like, basically, like, cash for gold and tumbleweeds, you know? <laughs> and so I decided to come to Philly, uh, and because it was a more exciting and hip place to hang out, you know? And uh, are you married at the time? That no, you I'm okay, single so at the time. Say, all right. And and so um, I uh, moved to Philly, hung out there. Right, at, if you know Philly at all, Second and South Street yeah, basically sure. is where I live. So it's like right in the middle of things. I was mm-hmm. I uh, formed an improv comedy troupe. I was like I was having a great time. Uh, then I met uh, my wife Jen, uh, and she was actually engaged at the time. That's a scandal. But anyway, um, we uh, but but when we decided to get married, um, we first thought maybe she should get unengaged. But then we decided uh, to move to Montgomery County. We basically this is going to sound weird, but you'll relate to this as a, someone who's a political person. Uh, I wanted a political future, and and back then, you know, the suburbs were very Republican. So I did some numbers crunching, and I drew, I took a big map of the five-county, four-county suburban area, and I drew yellow, I highlighted yellow areas where Democrats had a chance. Uh And I'm like, you can buy a house anywhere in the yellow. (laughs) This is true. And so she did. Um, And uh, we got a house in Upper Marion, where where we still are. And, uh, you know, I... A couple years after I moved here, Connie Williams was unexpectedly elected to the Senate, right? Uh And so there was a vacancy, and it was a special election, so there was no primary. The party picked someone. So I'd only lived there two years. I was a rank carpetbagger. But I was like, you know. And hadn't been elected to anything uh, since the last time you tried running in Lehigh. So, okay. No. Rather uh, newbie. No, complete newbie. But I I, I knew some people. I started going to some things. And I knew some people. And so I said, I'll I'll apply. I won't get the the nod from the party. But at least maybe I'll impress some people. Maybe it pays off five years from now. Like, whatever. So I interviewed. And uh, apparently it went well. And they called me the next day. And they said that you're our candidate. And, uh, you know, uh, the rest is history. So you, you win in, in 2002 in the special for a No, I lost is, uh, the special. The, oh, you lost the special. I lost okay. the special, and I won the rematch six okay. months later, which okay. almost never happens. Yeah. Um, I lost – and by the way, back then – talk. this is something we'll probably agree on in terms of good government because uh, I lost the special. The, my, my opponent um, was sworn in, and that day the, uh, the House – uh, started spending, and Republicans and Democrats did this, 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 the State House Republicans started spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on public service yep, announcements yep. and mailing. She would do like right. three mailings a week. Called them incumbency protection plans. Oh, yeah, was, uh, yeah, the yeah, incumbency, yeah. I don't even know if I would have run again <laughs> if I had known, like literally, like every day I got a piece of mail, you know, from a taxpayer paid yeah. mail uh, that my opponent was, you know, she was how fi- much how much she had done in just you know yeah. one week? It's Fic- amazing. She was fixing traffic. They always had her like standing on two hundred two, like looking at traffic sadly, and um, you know. And then they had uh, TV. They had TV commercials. She was like catching kids as they came off of sliding boards, talking about you know open mm-hmm. space. Um, and she was handing out giant checks to every municipality and little league. And I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Um, and uh, we don't do this anymore. 
Uh, I mean, we still. I mean, my my newsletter budget is like I get two newsletters a year, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's been significantly curtailed. I mean, obviously, this is well before a lot of the scandals that yeah. uh, landed plenty of people in jail for using public resources for for political purposes. I mean, I think that even preceded Haybay, uh, which I think was the, right. the first case that kind of triggered right. lots of. Well, uh, then these, you know, Perzell and Deweese yeah, went yeah. to jail, and every yeah. and Beyond and, 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 and Feast, and I mean the whole Fumo, basically Mello, the I mean, whole yeah. leadership of the. <laughs> legislature <laughs> right. went to jail and so they've changed a lot of that but it was very intimidating but i won the rematch um and then uh you know the rest is history. what's what's happened to her uh, she, her name was wallace brooks yeah she she went back she was a da originally she went back to the da's office and i believe she's retired now okay so um, so you ended her political career so yeah, yeah well i mean I, I you know i i it's I feel bad, I guess, on a, but that's our system, you know. So, so you win in '02. You serve in the House until '08, when the opportunity again arises. Connie, yeah, moves, Connie. retires from the Senate, mm-hmm. and uh, so I ran again. That that wasn't that hard of a race. I mean, they spent a lot of money, but it was really a Democratic district by that yeah. point. So, uh, in all this, I think you kind of have uh, the. Uh, ADHD that that a lot of us in you know politics tend to have uh, that uh, you started looking at Congress right so you decide to jump in a congressional race in, uh, in 2014. 2014 yeah it was um, we we uh, because Allison Schwartz had uh, left to run for governor mm-hmm. and I uh, I didn't actually live in the 13th you don't have to in right. the, in Pennsylvania I live well literally, who actually lived in the I mean you couldn't tell right you couldn't tell well well I had. Uh, who knows where you live? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and I only lived about 50 yards from the 13th. I, I make that joke because those that can't visualize the 13th in their mind, I mean, that was the poster child for gerrymandering. Wondering. The 7th yeah, was yeah. the real yeah. one, but yeah. the 13th was bad. Yeah. And um, it was uh, – so I lived like 50 yards away from it. But I figured, like, I wasn't confused about the strange new land I found myself in when I crossed the street. But it, it, nonetheless, we had a four-person race, very high profile because one of the candidates was Bill Clinton's in-law, mm-hmm. you know. And um, – but uh, we had – we my campaign – I think we ran a great campaign. We had a structural problem we couldn't overcome, which is that – it was a ru- roughly evenly divided district between Philadelphia and Montgomery County. And uh, we had three candidates from Montgomery County and one from Philadelphia who just ran saying, I'm the guy yeah, from Philly. Right. I'm running against three mainline millionaires. My wife's like, we're millionaires? That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, um, and but, you didn't tell me. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but, um, but, but it was a great – Brendan Boyle, the guy who mm-hmm. won, it was exactly the campaign yeah. he should have run. It was, you know, because – he, you know, he came in last in Montgomery County, yeah. but he cleaned up in Philly, and uh, you know that was enough. So you decide uh, to try test the waters again in 2018. 20, yeah, well, yeah, 2017 for, for the 2018 right? cycle. It was, um, it was. I was very reluctant to do it because, I mean, as as you know, uh, and maybe some of your listeners know, when you run for Congress, in most cases, your your life is literally being on the phone. All the time to dialing raise money. for dollars. Yeah. All the. I mean, when I say dialing for dollars, I mean five days a week from eight from eight thirty to four thirty, and then a couple nights a week, I would go home, have dinner, you know, throw a basketball around with the kids for twenty minutes, and then my call time person would come over, and we'd call California and West Coast, and call three or four hours at night, and sometimes weekends, and then it's a horrible way to live. Uh, really, uh, and there's got to be a better way. Well, but you, you seem to do pretty well. I think you raised what over uh, 180 thousand or something. No, no, I raised uh, this. I raised 400 thousand okay. first quarter. I was one of the top three okay. in the country. I became good at it because I'm a you know I can uh, you know BS on the phone with the best of them. But and eventually in the beginning it's very difficult. I don't know if you've ever done that. No. But uh, it's in the beginning it's mortifying. And you're well, like, and it's far different than running for the House or Senate where you don't have any limits. Uh, you're right. limited in what you're limited. Uh, person so you have to. Yeah, in yeah, small donations right. and small increments, and in the beginning, it's very hard to do. But after a while, you know, you, like anything else, you get numb to it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was uh, and like the things. Just so people know how awful it is, they make you call like old friends from college you haven't spoken to in twenty years. Like, <laughs> hey, Bill, hey, nice to talk to you. How's yeah. Margaret? Oh, she left you. That's that's yeah. sad. Hey, you got we a got, thousand bucks yeah. for me? You know, like these are weird <laughs> conversations to have. And then uh, when someone gives you money. You immediately yeah. call them again. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Um, because the person most likely to give you money is someone who's already given you yeah. money. So you seem you feel ungrateful, yeah. you know, but you get used to all of it. So anyway, I, I was very reluctant to run. Um, 
However, I was getting a lot of pressure because people felt it, back then, and of course, none of this was, you know, after the Supreme Court got involved, was, was the way it actually was going to play out. Right. But it was uh, the seventh district was considered a winnable district. Pat Meehan was the incumbent, but in a Democratic year, blah blah blah, with a good candidate, and they wanted a first a top tier candidate who could raise money and so forth. And I was still very reluctant because I was happy and I was doing a lot of stuff. I passed some important legislation that I was trying to get implemented. Um, and uh, But then my daughter started. My daughter is a force of nature. And uh, she just was elected two days ago, national communication director for the high school Democrats. Uh, she was a U.S. Senate page last semester mm. uh, for, for, for five months. Great stories. And uh, she was nationally famous briefly when she asked Hillary Clinton a question at a town hall mm -hmm. and then everyone like Alex Jones and those people were like she's a crisis paid crisis actress <laughs> um, and uh, so you know she started I would put her to bed at night and I would be like you know good night Brennan and she would be like you have a moral obligation to run dad why don't you understand that you know and you don't want your kids to see you like not step up. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just that really yeah. weighed on me. You know? So in, into the midst of all of this, uh, we've got uh, a Me Too movement going on. Uh, and you get caught up in this with uh, accusations of unwanted physical contact and uh, um, sexually charged conversations. I mean, these, these are what I think eight women that no, said this. No, it's not eight what? women. Okay. Uh, that's not, okay. If you read the story closely, okay. it's eight women and three men. And I don't think okay. anyone accuses me of Okay. Doing anything with men, but the the, uh, the just so that's clear, they asked people. They called. They asked for. A, they filed a right to know request. Someone told them that there were all these complaints against me, which was untrue. They filed right to know requests, and uh, several media outlets. And they came back that no one had ever filed any complaints. So the media abandoned it, mm -hmm. except for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which loves this stuff. Uh, basically, it's all they do. That and AP stories. And so um, they uh, filed another right-to-know request asking for everyone who ever worked with for me, interned for me. Uh, you know, there was like 65 people. They called them all. They couldn't get a hold of them all, but they reached a lot of them because they called me, these people. And uh, not one of them had a bad thing. I mean, if you read the story, not one person who ever worked with me uh, in my district office in Harrisburg who interned me ever had anything bad to say about me. Many of them had very nice things to say about me. Everyone that did was told, um, well, if we do a story, we'll call you back for a quote. None of them were ever called back. None of them were quoted. Um, and uh, th they uh, eventually, uh, and they started calling random people. They called my political opponents from previous campaigns. Do you have any dirt on Dalen? I mean, it's kind of a weird. This is happening, de what, December of This is uh, happening for six months. Okay. Oh, okay. This is happening for well, six months. Okay. And... Uh, Finally, uh, and and they, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of question about how journalistically responsible it is. It's one thing if, you know, some people have come forward and filed a complaint and covering that, like that's like, like in the case of Nick uh, Micarelli, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's, someone had filed yeah. papers with a court. That's you know, um, Nick and everyone else is entitled to yeah. due process. Sure. You bet. And I and and there's a lot of history where due process shows that things are very but, different. Uh, so of course this is all coming out in yeah. the midst of while you're uh, right. running for Congress. And that's uh, why I mean, yeah. it was an opposing campaign. Yeah. Finally, when they couldn't find anyone, an opposing campaign, their staff came forward, one of their staffers, and said, you know, oh my God, ten years ago he told a joke I didn't yeah. like. And so that was a story. A lot of people don't understand why that was a story. But one said that I put my hand on their shoulder and they didn't like it, which is fine. But, I mean, a lot of people put people their hand. I mean, that's possibly true. I don't even remember. But um, it is, uh, as a result of that, I've been in the Inquirer 35 times, and including nine times on the front page. And are, are including there, today, uh, including today, well, not on the front page in Philly Cloud or something. Okay, uh, of course, in politics, uh, it, it doesn't matter whether there is, you know, anything legal. You know, I, I don't know. Are there uh, charges? No. Or, I mean, so there's this no, is no one's ever filed of, anything. No one's ever. I mean, literally nothing. And and which is, in a way, good. But in the another way, it's like. There's no opportunity yeah. for due process. There's no fact finder. There's no opportunity to tell your side of the story because the paper won't print it. Um, and well, the Inquirer did give you an op-ed opportunity they gave me an op -ed in January. Later. Yeah, which I thought was a very sincere 
look, here's here's my assessment of things, um, and, he, and an apology even of... of no, if uh, I subjectively and, yeah, made anyone yeah. uncomfortable, even if it was something that objectively most people wouldn't be upset about, of course I'm up... Um, of course that was never my intention. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so it was... The, 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 what happened is um, it was very th- – I, I have pretty thick skin. I've been called – when I first ran uh, for the state house, for example, they called me a Nazi sympathizer, which is odd because I was bar mitzvahed as an Orthodox Jew <laughs> and I'm still a practicing Jew. But well, I those are the worst kinds of Nazis. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. They're, they're, well, well, certainly the least uh, – <laughs> the most confused. But I – you know, I don't have a Jewish last name. So thought they could, they thought they could get away with it. I've been called – I mean, you know, and I take controversial positions on issues, and whether you do that from the left or the right these days, you're, you know, you should see our, we have a wall of hate mail that we're proud mm-hmm. of, but, you know, I'm called a lot of things, and I have pretty thick skin. But, you know, my wife and kids, they, they're not really, yeah. they're not politicians. They weren't cut, I mean, Brennan probably will be, but they're, they're not cut out for this, especially mm-hmm. my wife. And it just became sort of unmanageable for her. Um, I mean, and she knew from the beginning that the, uh, the, the sort of underlying message of the paper was preposterous. I mean, uh, she, you know, she was like, you never even, you know, harassed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know. well, and, and in all this, uh, you know, Governor Wolf called on you to resign yeah. and step down. Yep. Um, I think, you know, this is where the, the throwing of fuel on those yeah. fires my, uh, uh, my 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 information on that was that he was told you don't want to be on the wrong side of this. You especially don't want to be on the wrong side of this with a Democrat because if you call out a Republican, you don't call it a Democrat. It's going to look partisan. You have to do this. And you know, I was one of Tom Wolf's earliest supporters. I had a fundraiser at my house for him. I had 250 people there, uh, and uh, but he didn't even call me. I mean, nothing. You know, but it's all about political. Well, he doesn't call me either, so maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. probably. Pro- pro- yeah. Different reasons. It, but- probably for different reasons, <laughs> but you know, he it, it's it was not a profile and courage, yeah. but it's uh, you know. Have you had? I mean, here we are, more than six months since. No, then, he, uh, he so nothing. No interaction. No interaction. Well, one of the things at the end of your uh, uh, op-ed yeah. uh, last January, I thought that this would be a good segue for some of the other discussion because I thought that this was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you said we're living in a time in which humanity seems to be in desperately short supply. Mm. I hope we can all look at each other as flawed human beings who are constantly trying to improve. I promise that is what I will be trying to do. Um, what from all this? You, like what you said, hey, I'm trying to learn. Uh, I, I want to do better. Um, sometimes the, those troubling times, we do get better, right? We pick ourselves mm-hmm. up. You either stay beaten down or, or get up. What, what have you learned from that? And then, you know, I agree this kind of this humanity is in short supply. Maybe we use civility. That's kind of the word of the yeah. day, right? Uh, uh, how does all of that play into kind of what you've learned and how you're uh, you know, carrying on as as a state senator uh, and interacting in a very you know hyper partisan, I mean, just charged uh, Twitter charged yeah. <laughs> environment. Well, you you just said the word Twitter there. One of the things that I think is really a problem in society now is that social media is um, awful, mm-hmm. um, and, and because people are people, you know, no one's ever saying anything. Uh, on, on the story, no one's ever said anything to my face. Not one person ever has any, said anything negative. Um, it's only people on social media because it's like the old days. Like you would be driving a car and you'd see some guy give a finger to a guy who's like four times the size because he's like yeah. in a car. Yeah. Like, you know, he, you, you, it, it, and it, your name isn't on the car. So it, it's, uh, it, and it empowers easy, you. Yeah, you right. go like this yeah, and yeah. you drive away. Um, <laughs> But uh, and social media is like that. Like you don't actually have to interact with people. You can just write horrible things mm-hmm. about them in a whole ver- wide variety of contexts. You know, I mean, for example, uh, you know, if you and I met at a bar and we, you might like the tax bill and I might not. We would talk about it and I'd say, well, I think it's well, no. I we would have a discussion, mm-hmm. uh, r- probably a civil, reasonable discussion. But you know online by the third exchange it's like i hope your mother dies yeah, you know yeah, it's like right. this horrible and um that is i think um coarsening the dialogue obviously but it's making it very difficult to find common ground on anything the other thing well, that it probably your wife would probably have lots to say on this of like like social media was supposed to bring us together more right but yeah. but here what's happened is that uh while we might interact more the lack of 
uh, you know, being, you know, shaking a person's hand, looking at them in the yeah. eye, you're just, you, you, you're not as rude uh, in yeah. person or, you know, hostile as what you see in social media. In fact, I'm even thinking, boy, if I didn't have to do a lot of it for my work, uh, that I'd, I'd chuck it all. I would get rid of it. In fact, I may end up doing a, a month fast just to see how it goes. Uh, uh, just because I, I agree, and I think that that has just, um, while, we're, while we can interact more, it seems that we're we're really truly the interacting on the on a, on a level that is far more shallow and harmful. And you know, when you say you know take a break from it, there was a great article in the Rolling Stone a couple uh, months ago about how difficult that is on a physical level. Like this stuff is physically addictive in terms of like when you post something, getting likes actually releases oh, dopamine yeah, yeah. and all this other yep, stuff. So you're yep. like, so there are people who sit all day long and like every time they get a king, they're like, you know, yeah. it's like a little charge mm-hmm. for them and they mm-hmm. become like physically, it's like- It's, it's like a drug. A, yeah, it's like it's addictive as cocaine or tobacco. And so, um, you know, that is, and, and that's deliberate. Yeah. That's deliberate. And and they, they design it so it's that way. So we have to, we, we have to figure out it's not only that that's one of the huge problems uh that is causing the breakdown of uh, society i think another one is you know 45 years ago uh or 40 whatever it is you and i would would may disagree but we would both watch walter cronkite at 6 30 and that's where we'd get our facts and we could argue or interpret the facts but now if you you, it, depending on whether you watch Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, none. You get totally <laughs> yeah. different. Sure, sure. W- or what's important news, right? So, you, so yeah. you're not even looking at the same yeah. news to have that conversation. No. Totally alone, different facts, yeah. and not only are the facts totally different, but people on the other side aren't just uh, on the other side. Mm-hmm. They hate America. They're stupid. They're corrupt. They're evil. They're they're they're, they're involved in all these conspiracies. And this, so this feeds into this, like, you know, um, bubble where people just talk to people who agree with them, just read stuff that they that agrees with them, and tells them that they're right, and everyone else is an idiot. And so, well, and I know personally, I have tweets or Facebook posts that I regret or that I go, man, oh, sure. I, should, I should have deleted that, or because I and I've done plenty where I've typed in, I go, ah, that you know, delete. Uh, do you have some of those? Oh yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, because you get angry or whatever, and you you, and that's one thing I'm trying to do uh, better is not engage every once in a while i can't help i like i lose it for a second because i'm human i may be having a bad day totally unrelated to what uh, is being argued about online like you know i i i i'm sitting in traffic you know and i'm like oh, i'm just want to kill myself and then someone says something or I, i'm like you know and uh, you know that's never smart it's never good well you had you had one that got a lot of national attention as it related to president trump yeah. uh right so we'll keep this as a family show but uh, i mean are those are those the things that are kind of throwing fuel on the fire and creating more uh, coarse discourse, if you will, or I mean, is yeah. that is that where it's kind of like you know what you and I have? We've got a lot of followers, um, and so the responsibility is yeah. is man, we have to take that more serious. And I think that that's. I mean, I wish someone would just give President Trump uh, a dummy phone, you know, that he, <laughs> he thinks he's really tweeting it up. I'm uh, surprised the staff uh, has it. Oh, seriously, but but, but um, I know. mean, it's coming from all sides, right? I mean, yeah. this is this is where both sides are just, I, I'm fearful for what are my kids. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in fact, when the presidential debates were happening um, uh, on the Republican side, and this is after just nasty stuff is coming about about Trump. My 12-year-old, uh, who she she's the one out of my four kids that likes politics, I said, LJ, uh, you can't watch tonight. Just because I knew where this was going to devolve, and I thought, this is not the America that I that I remember, or the, where I want my kids, and it's it's just it's so devolved into um, a coarseness and incivility. I know that that's kind of like the buzzword today, but I don't know what what else describes it, and it, and it's troubling to me, and it's why it's why I want to sit down with people like you because yeah. look, we're on opposite sides, but we want to have. I mean, I think you want that, right? I mean, you're not looking to to foment. I, I mean, I don't know no. if you agree with like a Maxine Waters approach, or if you, you know, say, okay, this is no. The, well, it's funny. I tell my kids that you know, because my kids are the same age I was back when this happened. But I, I say, you know, it wasn't always like this. I when I was your age, I had to live through the Ford Carter election, 
And that, man, like on, on the news, you would have Gerald Ford get up and say, I'm going to keep inflation to 4%. And Jimmy Carter would then get up and hit back with, I'm skeptical that President Ford can keep inflation to 4%. And that was <laughs> like, that was their big fight for the day. <laughs> it, it, you know, and I'm like, you know, or if you watch, you know, I just took the kids to the Kennedy Library up in Boston a couple weeks ago. And uh, they showed, you know, the Nixon-Kennedy debates. I mean, they were really substantive debates. Uh, and there was no personal attacks at all. And, and, and you know, we've, we've gotten to a bad place, a really bad place. And I don't know how it gets better because the things driving it, social media, the 24-hour partisan news cycle – um, and, and things like that. Well, I think it starts with, with there, kind of like we have to call out our own side. I yeah. can't call out your side, right. right? I mean, we have to call out our own side uh, in some of this behavior that uh, is just not moving us in the right direction so that we can have, uh, you know, we can cut through the social media crap that uh, yeah. I think is creating such division. And it's politics. It's, it's not only partisan, like electoral politics. I mean, like I'll call out something that uh, the that people may dis- on my side may disagree with. The other day there was that story, I don't know if you saw it, uh, about the woman who called the police on a, a young black girl who was selling water. Did you no, see this? I didn't this? see that, no. It was all over the news. I forget what they call her, Patty um, something. Anyway, she called... She, uh, there was a, a young, an eight-year-old black girl selling water on her block, and she called the police on them. And, and um, you know, turns out that she, you know, has done a lot of good things, you know, but she was having a bad day, and she was just, for whatever reason, upset. Now there was this, of course, the, the vitriol came in, followed by boycotts of her company. She's involved in, you know, and then finally she was fired from her company. Like, why can't she just say, I'm sorry? Yeah. Like, why does she yeah. have to get right. fired from her job for that? I mean, everyone does stupid things. Everyone acts like a jerk sometimes. I mean, assuming I don't know necessarily all the facts, but assuming it's as portrayed, you know, I mean, I, you know, why? W- what is this like? Everyone gets the death penalty for everything. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, frankly, to be honest with you, I think my side's worse with that. Uh, I, you know, I always say when I speak to Democratic groups, I'm like, you know, we think. We think about which one of us isn't pure enough. They think about winning, okay? <laughs> and it's very I, – I had a forum for liberals uh, last year at St. Joe's, and it was called What's the Matter with You People? Uh, and I'm a liberal, you know, but I like – we're – you know, like the sort of the, the, the purity and the infighting and the, the eating of our own. I know there's some of that on, on your sure, side too, sure. but it, it, it seems like we – that that is that is what we live. Well, that, for. that's a that's a great way. I, I wanted to talk about. You called yourself a liberal, but it seemed that liberal was out of fashion. We moved to progressive. Uh, now uh, it, it seems socialism is the direction or the label that that's happening. Uh, t- I mean, do you consider yourself a democratic socialist? I mean, kind of the Bernie. Uh, um, style. I mean, you see what happened up in New York, where I think the number four in the the House Democrats, who was thought could be, uh, uh, you know, the successor to Nancy Pelosi, is beaten handily by someone half his age who uh, clearly ran as a socialist, um, who will likely be in Congress. Um, what what do you see happening uh, on that front? Is this a good I, development? I think. Well, I think this is no. I'll, I'll tell you why. Not that I disagree with them on issues. And by the way, when we say fashion, like you know, this this word's fashionable. Anyone who takes a look at my wardrobe, I mean, I'm wearing shorts with, I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> I'm with, going to get a picture of with you sailboats the on them. Yes, okay, yeah. I mean, so yeah. fashion is not my thing really. But um, uh, you know, uh, I think on both sides. I mean, I can point to um, you know, Republicans who have lost primaries to extreme, I think, fairly extreme people, um, and uh, you know. I think that's caused by a number of things. It's caused, I think, by gerrymandering. I thought I think it's caused by campaign finance. I think it's caused by the partisan news cycle. There is no room for moderation anymore on either side and or compromising. I'm a strong liberal, but I believe in incremental progress. So I'm happy if I can move the ball forward 10 yards, mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. A lot of people are, I mean, for example. Compromise has become a dirty word. Compromise, it? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I'm very proud of the medical marijuana bill I passed. Um, we had to compromise. There, there are people who are well, mar- and you had to work with Republicans. I had I mean, to work with Republicans, Republicans that have, yeah. they had the control, right, of course. Right. And so there are people who are pro- the marijuana. Some marijuana people who do all all they do is 
write editorial slamming me because I didn't get home grow and I didn't get. Th- I'm like, or free. You or, didn't make it free. I didn't make it yeah, free. Yeah. I'm like, do you understand what a miracle it is that we passed this at all? And um, one, I, I, uh, one of my most searing experiences in politics is when another bill I tr- I, I tried to pass, which is very difficult, EC in the ER, emergency contraception for women who are victims of rape. I spent a year of my life fighting for that bill. Um, and at the end, we got it passed. We got the votes to pass it in the House. Um, and we were actually going to – we came up with a compromise. Uh, I can get in the details of it, but it's, it's, it's not important. Um, and my own side attacked me. They're like, you know, this is uh, – you know, there are two standards of care. I'm like, well, there's two standards of care now. But under my two standards of care, the women get the pill. Under the current one, they don't. Okay? That's good, right? No, we want the, you know, the pope to personally give the pill to the women. And, and – so uh, they, it was the only bill at the time that would have advanced women's rights that passed in the last 30 years. And uh, women's groups came up and opposed it. Um, and, and uh, you know, so – and the, the protocol is now worse than it would have been for women. So I'm not a fan of purity, okay? I'm a fan of having a, a, a clear perspective. But then that's a starting point to try to make progress for people. But in so many areas, if you – I mean, Mike um, – um, what's his name? There was a uh, senator from Utah, a Republican senator for Utah, Bennett, who lost to Mike Lee, who's the current senator in the, in the Utah Republican primary a few years ago, not because he voted the wrong way on anything. He appeared at like a forum with John Kerry on climate change to discuss it. He had a discussion. He didn't even – he never voted – in a way that I would like on climate change, he just had a discussion that was he hung out with the wrong people. That was blasphemy, <laughs> and he got he got he lost his U.S. Senate seat for that. Like, and that I know that happens on both sides. And there, as a, people are like, why don't we get things done? You know, in the old days, and you know history, um, people would fight, and then like, you know, adults would go into a room. Yeah. Lyndon Johnson, Everett Dirksen, they would go into a room and they negotiate. And well, they'd say, look, we, we both have to leave this table with something. With Nobody's something. going to leave with everything they right. want. And and that is the uh, and that's always a challenge for people to understand yeah. is that uh, you got to get 102 people in the House, 26 in the Senate, and a governor. That's not always easy because everybody is equals. There is no one person in the House or Senate that really uh, you know ultimately has more control. Your vote is your vote. No, no, you're absolutely right. And what people don't understand about negotiation uh, is that making a deal with your opponent is not the hard part of negotiation. The hard part is going back to your people and saying, well, Here's I got, I got. this is what yeah, I got, yeah. but I had to give this. Yeah. And they're like, you had to give what? Yeah. And, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and so we're filled with people. There used to be adults, like, again, like Lyndon Johnson, if you read his biography, it was like, you know, I, I had to give away this and that, but I got you this and that, and that's the way it's going to be. Now you get out of my office, okay? <laughs> uh, but now— How's that work for you when you de- deliver that message? Yeah, yeah now, yeah. forget it. You're going to get primary. You know, you people and uh, there are organizations in both political parties that are that exist to uh, spend money against incumbents who commit heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's a CPAC with you guys or a Club for Growth or whatever it is, but you know, and uh, it's the same thing uh, on our side. We've got to get past this, or we're just going to have. There, there's got to be some room to actually solve. We don't solve problems. What's the last yeah. big problem yeah. Congress solved? Yeah. Well, uh, talk about big problems solved. Uh, one that's recently in, in headlines. You like my segue there? Uh, well what, done. Was uh, Janice v. AFSCME, uh, what the last uh, case that uh, Justice Kennedy ruled on mm-hmm. that declared that compelling a public employee to pay uh, uh, agency fees uh, to a union as a condition of employment is a violation of their First Amendment rights because everything that a union, public union, and this is just as a public sector, Everything a public sector union does is ultimately political, and therefore forcing them to pay that union is a violation of their uh, political speech or freedom of association. What's your take? I know you you, you had your picture, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, sitting in front of you, a union. Um, you know, I, I know you talked about this being, you know, the, the I think the, the ploy of the, the Koch brothers um, or them, them executing their master plan to take over the universe. Well, oh, I, yeah. I, <laughs> Well, I'm putting words in your you mouth. Know, for, <laughs> for one family, uh, what did they commit? $400 million in this cycle? Um, uh, you know, again, I think that's a huge problem when, you know, 
there's there 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 are a lot of people. Poor people cannot commit four hundred million dollars if you took every one of them in the country and pooled their resources. The co- one family can pay four hundred dollars. So who's going to who's going to be listened to and who's not? I think that's a problem. But but putting that aside, uh, first of all, it was already it was already uh, not the law that uh, they could force you to pay for political contributions. They can only force you to pay for the cost of bargaining and the correct, cost of things like that. So. Um, Which Abood back in 77 said you can distinguish between what right. is the political and therefore uh, you have to pay for the non-political, which I think uh, Mark Janis, that the, the court said it was 78% uh, he had to pay of the due. So 78 cents on the dollar to pay for so-called collective bargaining. But the court basically said, well, actually 100% of that is political in nature. There, that Therefore, Compelling him to pay even that seventy-eight cents uh-huh. is a violation of but his this, First Amendment rights. Right, and and we we can talk about the the merits of this. Yeah, but there's a broader issue, which and I've never understood your side's view on this. Maybe you can explain. Sure. Um, which is that we have, I, I think, no one disagrees. We have the greatest wealth and income inequality we've had in a hundred years, and. Uh, it seems like all of the policies by the administration are designed to exacerbate that, make that bigger. Never raise the minimum wage, cut taxes for the wealthy, cut programs for the poor, you know, just everything. And this, you know, when Citizens United was decided, I remember people saying on, on your side saying, well, it's fair because, yeah, corporations can spend unlimited money, but so can unions, um, even though corporations give them far more. But Putting that aside, now we're just going to make it so unions don't have – like at a certain point, like if I were a – if I were a Koch brother, if I were a billionaire or a multimillionaire in uh, America, I would think I have a pretty good gig. Like I don't want unrest. I don't – like at a certain point, you know, the whole Marie Antoinette let them eat cake thing gets old for people. And I, I'm reading a great book now in the 1912 election. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, Woodrow Wilson, Teddy Roosevelt, Taft, and Eugene Debs. And, you know, socialists were getting like, you talk about socialists, yeah. these are real socialists, yeah. were getting like 25% of the vote. Uh, eventually, and people say that Franklin Roosevelt came, instituted these social programs, and actually saved capitalism. We can argue about yeah. that. But, like, is there a point where it just gets to be too much? I mean, how much is how much do the Koch brothers need? Okay. <laughs> well, see, and I think that that's uh, generally a, a misunderstanding of why folks like the Koch brothers, whom I've never met, uh, they're not members of my well, association. I'm not, I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah, all of that, um, that there are actually uh, people who believe in the American dream and that actually uh, uh, allowing for free markets to work is what does lift all boats. I'm not going to debate with you or argue that, oh, there isn't a big distance between low-end income and high income people. Uh, But in America, it's where everybody has shifted up. I mean, if you are poor in America, you're still amongst the richest 5% in the world. But that's not really fair, because it's true in the sense that, you know, you have more per capita income yeah, I mean, then, the poor have then a guy cars, in TVs, Rwanda, air conditioning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those are all living in living. In, but 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 a lot of these people live really horrible lives. Uh, I mean, if you if you go to um, whether it's the inner cities yeah. and or whether it's Appalachia, I mean, keep in mind um, the well, vast majority and, of people are poor or white. And it's not. And and believe me, it's not where it's like, hey, we don't care about these people. It's how do we solve that problem? Is it through more government programs or is it allowing for more capitalism to flourish so that people can actually take care of themselves rather than being dependent? And this is where, look, I think it's it's part of that. Uh, I, I, I don't think you're evil. I think you're wrong on your policies. I am, and, but not yeah. on that. <laughs> uh, but, and it's where uh, we just say, how do we solve that problem better? Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the uh, discourse has been uh, you're evil. It's not that no, you're just wrong. I'm it's not saying, you're evil. And I don't and buy so, into that. Yeah. I don't buy into and that. And the Koch brothers are evil. And they they yeah. may be. But I'm not, I'm not buying into the, the – but, but what I am saying is that, um, again, we can debate economic theories, Keynes versus Milton Friedman, whatever. But let's say that you guys are successful. Um and you certainly. Well, what does success look uh, well, like for me? Uh, yeah. So you're successful in your policy preferences. So uh, yesterday was a day. More of, school choice for kids. R- right. uh, greater business opportunities. Well, school choice for small, is a, a way uh, of framing it, and so yeah. is business opportunity. Okay. Um, uh, you know, defunding public schools for the no. benefit of private schools. <laughs> That's another way of framing it. But however we frame the issues, 
Let's say you guys are successful. We completely obliterate unions. And no one's a member of a union in 10 years. Um, and, and that's that, not my goal. And that we, so I'm, uh, well, I just but some frank. people are. Yeah. Uh, you know, the minimum wage never goes up till the end of time. And that uh, we repeal Obamacare so everyone who gets insurance now, who couldn't get it before, now loses it. Let's say you're successful in all of that. If that were my goal, then uh, okay. On, if on the I policy were, issues, sure. okay. I mean, I, I assume because those you, aren't my goals, Dale. And but I, I, I think you, that's part of this misunderstanding. But I assume you support repealing a bomb. But, but, but let me get let me get to my question. Okay, let, sure. Let's, let, let me let me do it not in a, in a non-judgmental okay. way. I assume you support repealing Obamacare. Yes. Okay. In, in general, yes. I think okay. that there there are some good things. So uh, the, the I guess it's it's hard to just answer okay. that yes or no. All right. Um, uh, let's not even take you. Okay. Let's say. Paul Ryan's sure. agenda gets enacted yeah. fully, okay? I think we both know what Paul Ryan's agenda is. Just uh, as, a, as an – putting aside the Milton Free – or the theories behind it, let's say in 10 or 15 years the entire agenda gets enacted and people are literally living in third world poverty, okay? Like on the streets, there's starvation. There's already – you know, 25% of kids in America go to bed hungry at least one night a year. And um, that's the goal of Paul Ryan? Is no, that is that uh, what you're saying? The, the is goal, his agenda is to— <laughs> His goal may not be the result, but his goal is the policies. I'm not saying if he enacts his policies, let's say his goal is everyone's a billionaire in five years, but he enacts his policies, and we see the results of his policies are, you know, the return of Hoovervilles and stuff like that. Sure. At a certain point, do we say, okay, the theory's nice, but this isn't yeah. good for America. Yeah. Right. I totally agree. And that I think that that's part of the, the theory of socialism is really nice. But in reality, we see what happens, you know, Argentina and Cuba and other places that have yeah. tried socialism. Well, but, socialism, so. I, I think places that have, let's put aside. So we, but, we've gotten into a lot of theory, yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, but when it comes down to some of the, 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 the uh, exactly what happened with Janice. Uh, talking about freeing uh, public employees from having to pay a union that they don't want. I mean, the, the free rider has been the unions that have been able to force people you know, to say, people I don't want unions, representation. People in unions make 25% more than people doing similar work not in unions. So Janice re, uh, removed uh, zero public employee rights. Every public employee still has the ability to join a union. And if a union uh, does wonderful things... Uh, for its employees' salaries, benefits, people will will be willingly cough up you know seven hundred fifty a thousand dollars because of if they get twenty five percent more, they'd be dumb not to. They'd be dumb not to, but that's not how it works because the union's still required by law to bargain for them even if they don't pay. So it's like if you go to a restaurant, you go to a really nice restaurant, and they're like, pay if you want or don't pay if you want, and if fifty percent of the people don't pay, eventually the restaurant will go out of business. And that's the that's what's going to happen. But you know who uh, bargained or lobbied for exclusive representation so that unions would have to represent non-union members? That was unions. No, because So I'm I'm all for repealing have, them. You can't have tiered but then you'd have tiered workers. If you repeal that they don't have to bargain for everybody, what what what's going to happen is um, and, and by you could the have, way, you could have actually multiple unions in one workplace. You've but, said, "Hey, these there's teachers." No, there's no strength in that. If you so you're going to go so, on strike. But this with is 4% about unions, not workers. No, no, it's about I mean, workers because people who are in unions make 25 percent more. They have significantly better benefits. They have grievance procedures. They have all kinds of things. When that when you go in by yourself, the whole theory sure. is collective bargaining. But workers could. What if workers said, "Hey, we want three unions in our workplace. Why, know, but, why wouldn't you let them democratically I know, elect but, that?" Well, but. First of all, they, 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 they theoretically could. Uh, Not with exclusive representation. Uh, right hold now, hold yeah. on. The, the, and there are places they do, depending on the type of worker they sure. are. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, let's say there's 12 unions in a place. And you say, well, we're going to go and strike our 4% of the workers. It's not going to be effective. Um, and so the only way it's effective is if we have a, a system such as we have. By the way... But workers would choose that if they say that's how um, we're strongest, um, right? Um, um, well, you know, it's interesting what workers ch will choose. Uh, first of all, the, the problem of in, uh, in Iowa, which has a law which Jan similar to what Janice is going to require nationally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have 88 percent of people, workers, saying they support the union. Only 29 percent are paying dues because they don't have to. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the restaurant. Pay if you want. Don't pay if you want. But beyond that, 
and I can send you this article, and I'm not as, uh, uh, ascribing this to you personally, but it is hard for people to believe the sincerity of we're just protecting workers when the an hour after Janus was decided, there are already companies hiring people to come in and tell their workers to they don't have to you, you shouldn't pay the union you shouldn't be part of the union now why is the employer doing that if all he wants is what's good for the worker let the worker decide well the that. only employer there would be your school district or state government because this only applies to no, the, no, the but, public oh, sector no so. no no but already they have people coming in and hiring people because to tell them their rights of to, no, what, to, their to, Janus to, rights well, or, yeah, yeah. To, but we know why they're hiring them it's not the school district that's hiring them um, it's it's private entities that are hiring Hope them brothers. Uh, well, it might be uh, some of them. It might, well, why? Because what if it's George if, Soros? If, Could, if you no. if you if you uh, neuter unions and you pass what you call school choice and neuter public school teachers and pass what you call tort reform and neuter trial lawyers, there is no funding left for the Democratic Party. Okay, huh. except for the occasional billionaire, maybe Tom Steyer can fund the whole damn thing, but. There is no. I mean, this is all. And and I got. I give you guys credit. And and when you speak, when you hear me speak to liberals, I'm like, you know, they are planning things. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, we're we're eating hummus and talking about how you know Hillary Clinton voted the wrong way on the Iraq War. Okay, and it's we're we're, we're just stupid. We're just bad at this. But uh, which is a shame. But you know, at the end of the day. We're not going to be – with campaign finance being what it is and the Supreme Court definitely from now on not going to allow any restriction on campaign finance, it, you're not going to be able to get elected in mo, in any swing area without the blessing of corporate America. Well, and that can't be good long term, even if it helps the Koch brothers amass a little bit more money right now. Well, so we could go in lots of directions, and obviously we, we enjoy this kind of back sure. and forth of trying to express – because I think it's important. Um, I mean, where how do you – uh, learn about the other side, the people that you're kind of, you know, quote unquote, fighting, right? You know, uh, do you, what news sources? Where do you get? I mean, so like I read the New York Times every every morning, uh, NPR. I listen to, you know, I try to like understand some of the argument, well, all of the arguments of the day that uh, that I'm dealing with. How, where do you get your uh, news, and how do you kind of get the other perspective, if you will? <coughs> I read the other perspective more than my own because I find my own boring. Um, and so I, I listen to right-wing talk radio. A funny story, one time I was driving from Philly to Harrisburg uh, to get to session, and I turned on a guy. Do you know Andrew Wilkow? No. He's a right-wing talk show on Sirius. Okay. Right. I, you know, anyway, I had tweeted something a few days earlier. Anyway, I'm driving up to Harrisburg. Andrew Wilkow's on yelling and screaming. He's like, and you know what else, Senator Leach? I'll tell you. I'm like, what? And it turns out that he was – some tweet that I and he was yelling at me about, and he's like, "You come, you don't have the guts to come on my show and defend this." So I had my staff call and say, "I'll come on," and he wouldn't put me on. Um, but putting that aside, um, I, I I enjoy uh, uh, because it gets me, it wakes me up. Um, I, I I listen, I, I read right wing. Uh, uh, you know, I, I read, and I don't know if you consider these guys right wing anymore because some of them are not Trump fans. But like George Will, historically, I read Krauthammer historically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I, I I read Bill uh, Bill Crystal, um, and I read uh, you know um, uh, a bunch of right wing editorial guys. Uh, I listen to talk radio sometimes just because uh, that's not that educational, but it sort of no. Well, it gives you, you know, like all right, what, what's the, the I listen buzz to Alex Jones sure. just because it's just like yeah. funny. I'm sure that the shooting yesterday of the reporters already they have the false flag. They figured out you know who's really behind that, mm. and it never really happened and all that. So I read that, but. <clears throat> I, I try to uh, read and listen to conservative stuff. I must tell you, though, I find Fox News very difficult to watch. I feel it literally – maybe you don't see it this way, but it really feels like Pravda at this point. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan. I I honestly do not watch uh, Fox. Uh, um, I there's one American news that actually is just kind of straight news. They do have some talking heads that I don't listen to. Is that but, online? Uh, it's on. It's on. Uh, I get it on satellite. Okay. But uh, 
Um, you know, a lot of the consumption that I, I like David Axelrod. I listen to his, the Axe Files regularly. I listen to uh, Ezra Klein's show uh, on Vox. And um, at the same time, I'll listen to Ben Shapiro. I'm, I'm trying to, like, understand all sides uh, of these mm-hmm. issues because I think that that's important for us, yeah. particularly those of us engaged in the Well, in if the you're public debating square, these, yeah. you have to know what yeah. the other side is saying. Sure. Otherwise, you're going to be caught... Like I'm, I'm always when I when I talk to people who just listen to like they listen to Rush Limbaugh, then they listen to Sean Hannity, then they go home yeah. and listen to Tucker Carlson. I'm like, you have a certain like, so I'll say something like they don't even know there's another right. side. They literally don't yeah. know that. I agree. Yeah, and that, that's the day. I mean, think we've got people on both sides that. Uh, that yeah, no, you should. Every I tell yeah. everyone you should definitely know both sides and be prepared to answer points that are brought up by the other so, side. So uh, what's next, Dalen? What's next for you? Uh, you got, uh, you know, you, you decided not to run for Congress. Uh, is that in the future? Or what do you what do you want to do in the Senate still with, uh, <sighs> w- with the time you've got? Because you're not up for re-election mm. this year. You got another two years until you got to run again, should yeah. you choose. So what's next? Well, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot that we're working on. I'm actually working on something now that I think uh, that I'm going to spend the summer really doing a deep dive on, and I'm doing tours around the state. Uh, and it should be a bipartisan issue, which is food waste. You know, 40% of our food is wasted, 40%, hmm. which is obscene when there's so many people who have food insecurity and are, are, are hungry. And um, and it's it's not just hungry people that can go to. It can go to, you know, it can go to farms. It can go to – so uh, there's it can go to composting and, and, and better fertilizer. There's a lot of things. But wasting 40% of the food in a world where there's so much um, starvation and so forth – and so, for example, I'm, I'm touring uh, a, uh, a biodigestion, I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that, mm-hmm. a biodigestion facility with uh, Senator Rafferty, I think, next week. Um, and uh, I'm meeting with food waste experts from across the country. I'm sending one of my uh, staffers on a, to a conference at Harvard on this. So I would really like, because right now I want to do stuff that um, I can get like get done. Sometimes you introduce things just to start a conversation that you know aren't going to pass immediately. But there's things that there are some bipartisan things on. So that's one food waste. Another one is criminal justice reform. The right has moved significantly on that uh, for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, and and admittedly late to the game. We used to be kind of the the lock them up. Yeah, uh, you know. And well, and Stuart Greenleaf the is yeah. the, the Should, poster boy yeah, of that. Exactly. He said every all the legislation I passed the first half of my term, I, my, of my and now year, did you I'm repeal. trying to repeal. <laughs> <laughs> but we saw recently two very red states, Utah and Nebraska, repeal their death penalty yeah. um, because for different reasons. It's liberals don't think it's may think it's immoral. But conservatives are uh, – it's just too expensive. Yeah. I mean, in, the, in Pennsylvania, we have not executed someone who did not ask to be executed in 56 years. Yet it's uh, – according to the report I just put out with three other senators, mm-hmm. it's $2 million per case uh, versus a, a – more than a death, than a murder case without the death penalty. So we've mm-hmm. had thousands of death penalty cases times $2 million each. That's – Tens of billions of dollars in the last 34 years we've just wasted. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of conservatives are, like I'd rather spend that money on tax yeah. cuts. Well, and I think it's uh, I think it's where we've realized, look, there's a lot about vast majority of people, 90% of the people going into our prisons are coming out. All right, so how are we doing there? What kind of a job are we doing in rehabilitation, giving them the tools that they need to be productive members so that they're not just, you know, coming back in, you know, out the back door and back through the front door a few months later. Well, not only uh, that, but we had we had between five and 7,000 prisoners steadily for 40 years, from 1940 to 1980. Then we got tough on crime, and we went up to almost 60,000 prisoners at one point. We mm-hmm. went up 10 times, which meant we had to build a new prison a year, every year, forever, um, and at a cost of $300 million to build and $50 million a year to run. Um, and eventually, like that's all we're going to spend money yeah. on. So, and, and we're not statistically safer yeah. than than states and countries that haven't done that. So, um, criminal justice reform, we've done a lot on. Um, I think we were the first state to get the clean slate. We got bill. the clean that's, slate yep, bill just recently. We got the clean slate. I am working very hard to stop cash bail. Cash bail costs you forty five thousand dollars a person to keep someone who's not been convicted of anything in jail because they're poor. Uh, two-thirds of the people in Philadelphia jails are not there because they're convicted If I'm a, uh, just because they can't afford bail. If I'm arrested tonight and a poor person's arrested for the same crime, I'm going home. He's going to jail for, mm. for 14 months waiting trial. And that's costing you a what lot are, of money. What are the forces that you see that uh, um, uh, prevent some of these reforms from happening? If you, you kind of have a bipartisan approach now, right? It's not a yeah. D or an R issue. 
Uh, is there a lot of profit being made off of that? Yeah, well, there's two things. It's not a D or an R. It's a DA uh, issue. <laughs> um, I, sometimes I, I deal with the DAs. They're nice people, but I, I feel like they look outside and they see people walking free and it makes them sad. Um, it's, uh, you know. And, and, and really sad when they see you walk. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, that's yeah, that, okay. that's our insult to injury. But <laughs> no, the the you know the, I think there's a mindset that like we you know we, we that that's born over a long period of time there. Um, also, I think private prisons are a really bad idea for a variety of reasons. One of which is that it creates a lobby for putting more people in prison. Yeah. You know, like anything else. If if I'm if I'm the Frisbee lobby, I want people to buy more Frisbees. If I'm the prison lobby, I want more prisoners. And so they uh, argue against anything that reduces prison population, which I think is a, a extremely amoral way to live your life. But it's, I think there's probably a way you could structure incentives that don't incentivize, uh, you know, recidivism and things like that. But that's, well, that's are a you whole familiar with Bastoy Prison? I am not. Real quick. It's very interesting as an intellectual exercise. There's a prison called Bastoy Prison. I recommend people look it up. It's like in, in Norway, and they treat their prisoners like kings. They have their own bungalow, flat screen TVs. They're, they still can't leave, but they have swimming pools. They have very nice. And people are like, my God, you're coddling these, these criminals. They have robbers and burglars and you know assaulters and all kinds of people there. The only thing interesting, though, is their recidivism rate is a quarter of what ours is. Why? The theory is that because a lot of, it's not to justify it, but a lot of people are in prison because they've led crappy lives. They've been treated crappy their whole life. We put them in prison. We treat them crappy for two and a half or five years, and we send them back out, and nothing changes, and they're just learn some more techniques in prison. Whereas if you show them, you know, this is the life you could live if you live, if you follow the rules, people are like, wow, you mean I could live like this all the time? And it, uh, it, it seems to break the cycle. Mm. So the question is, do you want to get even with someone who's committed a crime, or do you want them to be a better person when they get out? And there may be tension between those two. So all I'm suggesting is people should look at Bastoy Prison, and uh, there's others like it, but that's the most famous one. And just think about what do we want out of a penal system? Well, Dalen, it's been uh, a pleasure to well, be able you. to sit down. It's been a long time since we've had some yeah. good uh, And you dialogue. promised to come so on my, uh, I will. my podcast. I will, I, and I will keep that promise. And so, I'll grill you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Dalen, thanks for joining me on Brews and Views. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Matt. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.